Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, it's Mickey here. You're listening to Wikipedia this week on the podcast in light of it being Hawaii Ironman Women's World Championship, I have returning guest Dr. Dan Plews. I think Dan is one of the most frequent guests that I've had on Wikipedia. I'm always stoked to be able to have a yarn with him about all the things that he's interested in right now. And that's pretty much what we talk about today. We discuss training strategies that Dan is employing now, how these might have changed over the last year since we caught up. We discussed the difference in types of gels that are now available, for example, the Mortine versus, you know, your standard gels and if they make a difference as it's suggested. Of course, we revisit metabolic health because both Dan and I are passionate about that for our athletes. And Dan chats about his race at Challenge Roth, which was back in July but also discusses his upcoming campaign for Ironman California. And so that's happening a couple of weeks after Kona, which is super exciting. So um, I think anyone that loves triathlon, loves uh, nerding out on all things nutrition is really going to love this discussion because that's what we do. We just nerd out on nutrition related stuff. And for those of you unfamiliar with Dan, he is an applied sports scientist, researcher, coach and competitive triathlete and as an applied sports scientist Dan has worked closely with athletes who've won more than 25 world and Olympic titles in sports including rowing, kayak and triathlon and Dan was part of rowing New Zealand's preparations for both 2012 and 2016 in Olympic Games as a sports scientist which I must say was quite some time ago yet he has continued to help athletes become successful. And of course, most sort of top of mind right now is Chelsea Sodaro in her win last year at Hawaii Ironman. So as a researcher, Dan has a PhD in exercise physiology with a particular interest in heart rate variability, has many peer-reviewed publications to his name. In addition to Chelsea, Dan has coached three professional Ironman triathletes to sub eight hour times, including Terenzo Bazzoni, Jan Van Berkel and Tim Van Berkel, and Dan has also founded EnduroIQ.com, who I consult with, which is an online learning hub for anyone interested in optimal long course triathlon performance. He was also the high performance manager for the recently successful Team New Zealand bid for the America's Cup. So Dan has many strings to his bow, as I'm sure you know, and I think you're really going to love our conversation today. Just a reminder before we crack on into the conversation, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast listening platform because this increases the visibility of Wikipedia and amongst the thousands of other podcasts that are out there. So more people get the insights that people like Dan have to share on Wikipedia. All right, team, enjoy this conversation that I have with Dr. Dan Close. Well, it is, but it's not the ones you're thinking. It's actually your... You stress, it's a stress response in your body. And yeah, yeah. The last time she had it was a number of years ago, not related to her weight, but to work stress. And she was really stressed at work and she wouldn't mm, get, mm, get nice mm. weights. Yeah, it's a sure thing. I, I definitely, I mean, it's almost, 
you know, I almost feel that when I'm building up to an Ironman, I almost feel I if I'm not if I'm not having a phase when I'm building up into the night sweats, I'm probably I've probably not really gone the hard enough, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, yeah. I've, I think I've experienced it every single time, and yeah. I think it, I actually think it's almost a kind of requirement. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's interesting because, of course, there'll be people out there who will be like. That's a dangerous. You're running in your. You're running into relative energy deficiency. You're, mm. you know. But I mean, I guess it's but a it's a time it, thing too, right? It's not like exactly. you spend months at that point. Relative energy deficiency isn't. Of course, it's not a great thing. But I mean, it's the time. I mean, everyone has a relative energy deficiency at some point. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, it's just it's a question of it's a question of how long. Yeah. And how severe. Yeah. Right. If if you're doing it for a matter of um, a week or so, then you're generally all right. But if you're doing it for months and months and then, mm. then it becomes a problem, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And it, and the the issue, the problem was here. It wasn't that fact that I was under eating. I was just training too much, you know. And also I was at altitude, so there's a little bit even altitude. Your resting resting metabolic rate is probably that little bit higher because you know you breathe. You know your altitude. You're always fighting against the altitude. Your respiratory rate is a little bit higher continuously. So that's probably adding to the fat. Um, well. and actually, interesting, Dan. And I think we will be recording from now. Is that all right? Like just this last little bit that we were talking about. I think it's quite good. Yeah. Um, uh, interesting on that. It's less about. Oh, maybe it's not less about the relative energy deficiency but it's how you respond and recover right because Mm. you're needing to show up and do those training sessions and you also have to adapt and become stronger from them and now if you were doing that for months on end you'd break it down that wouldn't be the possible but instead you're able to I mean I I I imagine you were your fittest that you've been in years actually leading up to Roth yeah yeah I definitely I definitely was and you know and I was I wanted to lose a bit of weight as well like I know like it's it's kind of almost taboo now to just to talk about race weight, but bottom line is, I know that I need to be light to run fast. That's the that's the end of it. Like, and, yeah. and I and and therefore I was pleased I was losing the weight, but I didn't have to focus on it because my training was that was that high. Yeah, you know? I mean. I wasn't eating like what I wanted a total total. You know, I always think that if you eat good food and eat as much as you want, that's great. But I wasn't eating just junk all the time you know um but i was still i was just trying to eat good food and eat as much as i want and then the rest kind of takes care of itself you know yeah now i want to get into sort of the training you know what you might have done differently if anything if we think about kona and roth obviously um but first dan because we are talking about energy requirements like the question i get a lot from people is um, you know, Mickey, I've got my Garmin and I've got my um, what my bike is telling me I burn. So they've got quite a good setup in terms of the energy expenditure. Yet, if you look at the research, Dan, and it's looking at tools to measure energy expenditure for the layperson, they're really inaccurate. Like, however, are those is the research around that stuff not looking at power meters and that? And can we be more? confident in the energy expenditure that we might see on our power meter than what I might get from my Garmin watch? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think what we can be confident in is the within device. Yes. You know, is is like, you know, if you're if you're comparing one session to another, a two two hour ride versus a three hour ride or one day versus another day, or a week versus a week and you're using the same device to measure it, then you can be quite confident. I mean, I know for a fact, for example, that on my in my Today's Plan account, I have calories at the end of the week. So 
20,000 calories of energy expenditure in terms of um, exercise energy is a big week for me. And, and I look at that overtraining load. And to be honest with you, it, it's doing the same thing. Like though that, that number in terms of calories is almost identical to what train load is telling you. The higher the intensity, the bigger the calorie burn, the longer the volume, the bigger the calorie burn. It's just giving you, it's just a different way of looking at it. And, and, that's, and that's what I use. So if you're comparing week to week, it's great, but it you can't. The problem is you can't say that this is two thousand calories. Therefore, I should consume two thousand calories of of food because one is it's inaccurate on both sides. You know, it's inaccurate in terms of that that ride is or that run is actually two thousand calories. And then how are you actually measuring on the other side? Because we know food diaries and all these different, I mean, we just talked about it before, the, the taking it, we know it's highly inaccurate anyway. So how can you actually balance that? You really, you just, you just can't do it. You can use it as kind of a proxy measure that's quite of, of interest, but you can't, you couldn't, um, you couldn't base that much off it. Yeah, that's actually, that's great. And I, of course, it makes perfect sense to me. So if I've got a training week where it says I've burnt 14,000 calories in my running one week, and then I'm off on holiday to Colorado, like I am next Friday, and we'll be climbing 14ers, then my training, like the calorie burn from that will, will be far greater. And I, I wouldn't be able to put a number on it, but it would absolutely tell me that I'm burning more energy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's um I think that's its best use case. And I mean, like I have my other aura ring and, and the aura ring it links to um Apple Health and the Apple Health is pulling um my calorie data from from like the Garmin or the Wahoo or whatever or the form goggles, you know, it's pulling that, that data to get the calories. And therefore comparing one day to the next it's it's quite um it's quite accurate you know yeah. like it's, it's a good way to look at it you know and uh, and so when i was in st moritz for example i was over six thousand calories nearly every single day whereas normally i'm between four thousand and five thousand calories on my on my um on my aura ring so i know that i am burning more calories compared to normal so i should at least be a bit more mindful of um of what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. So for example, at night, if I'm having my chocolate and a cup of tea, I might put a bit of peanut butter on that, on <laughs> yeah. the top of that chocolate, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Now you probably haven't, <clears throat> I imagine you haven't come, you haven't gone down this road yet, but Ninja Creamy, have you, do you know what I'm talking about? No. <clears throat> oh my God. You'll have to Google this one, Dan. So not at all available in New Zealand, like sold out almost as soon as they arrived. Very difficult. What's it to, called? Ninja Creamy? You know the Ninja Bullet, like the Ninja sort of uh, food. Um, uh, I've got a Ninja air fryer and a Ninja little bullet thing. And now right, okay. it's an ice cream maker. But what you can do is you put almond milk, protein powder, a little bit of sugar-free instant pudding, like the Simply Delish. Like you measure it out, you freeze that, and then the little ice cream machine makes it into ice cream. And I'm not kidding. It is bloody amazing. Sounds like some of the kids might like. I seriously think that they would. And I reckon Dan on his uh, training regime, when he decides that he needs to cut his belly, um, will probably go, well, this is not a bad low calorie snack. To be fair, someone like you doesn't need to rely on these low calorie snacks. But but as a healthy ice cream alternative for your kids, I'll tag you in a post of mine and I'll show yeah, you what it looks like. Great. Yeah, sounds great. But it's super interesting though, like you know, like, like you know, I did that food diary for four days. It's yeah. just, it's just, it just. I mean, I haven't done one in, in a long time now, and it's it's such a good refresher. Yeah. To remind you, it's like, oh yeah, like like I said with the um, the keto three cereal, which is great. <laughs> when it's a great cereal, like Espiel's brilliant cereal, 
But you have to remember, it's great if you're training, but I would not be having that if I was, um, you know, if I wasn't doing a bit of training in the day because yeah. it's um, it's just it's very high in calories, which it is designed to do. It's for athletes. It's for you know, it's to give you a good bit of energy in the day. But like, you know, I was over a thousand calories before I was even, um, I think it was like eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Hang on here. I know, know it yeah. is interesting. And, you know, foods like that, they can be used just differently. You know, like someone who doesn't have like, I, there's no way that I'd been 4,000 calories in a day. So I might enjoy that cereal on top of um, yogurt and protein powder with berries, you know, rather than have it as the base of my of my breakfast. Yeah, and and it's and that's you know on that point, you know, you said about um, you burn not burning that many calories in a day. What's really interesting is that me, like when I was in Summer Chelsea and I were doing almost the exact same training. Yeah. But my and you know and honestly, she's using a Wahoo exactly the same as me, same watch, same bike computer. Basically, because she's sponsored by Wahoo and she mm-hmm. gave me my Wahoo, so you know. <laughs> and same form goggles, right? And literally, in a, in a week, when I'm at twenty thousand calories, should be closer to thirteen, fourteen thousand calories. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah because yeah. because like you know, we we're going over these mountains in Saint Moritz, and I'm like, a, she'll be at two hundred watts, and I'm at three hundred watts. You know, which is a lot more energy requirement, and you have to, you do have to con- consider that, of course. Yeah, and of course, you're like, so what's, so actually, comparing you in 2018 in Kona and you, and I know that rock wasn't the wasn't the build up that you hoped it would be, despite the fact that you had a great, you know, that you managed to pull it out of the bag, and I know it wasn't probably the race that you wanted, but Dan, in terms of your sort of race weight, were you around the same? A little bit heavier, maybe a kilogram more, but not much. Yeah. Oh, no that. wonder your Achilles couldn't handle that hefty. Yeah, Heftiness. but I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think it, I think um, I, I think that it would have been, it would have been the same. Yeah. If I'd have kept my running going, because I just find running's the thing that kind of it keeps you that it, it, it keeps you a little bit lighter. I think it's just a natural kind of adaptation, and and I and I basically I. I my pr- whole training program had been building up to doing. Why is my camera so out of focus? That's I don't know. It, I don't know. It, it, hopefully, it will be better. Your hand is in great focus. It'll be better though when we um, um, put it up properly. People don't want to see my face anyway. <laughs> no, that's not um, true. I was going to say. Um, I was talking about yeah, um, because basically the whole training program had been had been building up to doing these specific runs, right? That were the key runs of of the training block. Um, you know, which might be uh, track sessions and specific runs off the bike. And I, I never got to do any of those. Um, so yeah, and and I also I also lost the plot. Um, so it was it was the Wednesday. So Wednesday before ten days before the race, which was the Wednesday, I tried to do a run um, on my Achilles, and I managed one kilometer. And at that point, I was like, "There's no chance I'm going to do this race." Yeah. Um, so I had a beer and pizza. Yeah, as you do. Um, You know, um, because I was like, "Well, I may as well have beer and pizza, maybe." You know, and so I didn't, and then, and then I didn't really do anything for. I didn't really train much that day, you know. So I kind of did lose a bit for a couple of days as well. Um, But yeah, then I, and then yeah, I mean, the race itself, I couldn't have asked for more than I did than I delivered on that day, given the situation. But I also know that I could have done 
I could have done a bit better, you know, yeah. with the with the perfect build-up. And I guess, you know, is any build-up perfect? Did you have any issues going into Kona? Was that actually the perfect well, build-up? Well, I mean, I mean, there's never a perfect build-up, but I guess it's the timing of things, right? Like, even in Kona in May, races in October, I had a, I had a stress factor in my sacrum. Sure. But, you know, that, that, was, that was in May time. So it's not that much of an issue because I, I got over it. I had a perfect running from that point, and I, I did, it was really good, but... You know, when you're not running at all for 16 days, and you know you can't you can't get to run until um, you know basically it was nine days before the event. It, that's that's different, right? It's a lot worse. And the funny thing was is that when I started running again, because I was I'd been cycling and swimming, and I was very fit still, and I started running, but I hadn't had any of the kind of the muscular um conditioning in the legs like the eccentric loading yeah. and my legs were i ran 20k and i ran i ran like 420 430k pace and my legs were so sore and this was on the saturday before the race so the week before this is the first run I, I managed to proper run i managed to do and then for that whole week i was actually just trying to Recover, recover my legs. It yeah. was so sore. <laughs> yeah. Now, how did you, um, with regards to like the you know, your beer and pizza, you're like, this is, you know, I'm clearly not going to be able to race. What happened then? Yeah, it's it's really really weird. So, um, so the next day, so that day, I I I, I kind of I, I decided I wouldn't be able to do the race. I went out. I went. I went to the swimming pool and saw Chelsea and Yan, and I was like, "Well, I'm not. I'm not swimming. I'll just coach." You know, I coached on the pool, so I didn't bother getting in myself. And then Yan was like, "He goes, what are you going to do now?" And I said, "I'm just going to go back to my room." And he's like, "No, you should. That's going to do you no good. You should come out and ride with me." And we ended up riding for four hours on that day, so which was a really good thing in the end. And then the next day, um, Yan and Chelsea had a like a key track session, so I was coaching that. And they warmed up and I ran 400 with them. I couldn't run 400. My Achilles was that sore. I stopped. And then they were doing like um, 800s. So I was timing them and I had to run across the track, time them, and run back across the track because they had 800 on, 200 off. So they were like starting at a different side each time. And as I did that, like I didn't really feel my Achilles, but I didn't really feel it for those short distances. And then Jan started to cool down and, um, and I ran alongside him. And then I was like, hang on a minute, my Achilles isn't isn't really hurting um and then on that day Jan finished his cool down and I said well I'm gonna just run a bit more and I ran for 25 minutes and it wasn't really that sore so then the next day I ran um for 50 minutes and I stopped once because it was a bit sore but I still ran for 50 minutes in total and it felt better and, it, and the, the main thing was it wasn't getting any sore like the, the soreness after running was there was nothing there it wasn't getting any worse so after that 50 minutes, it was fine. And then the next day on the Saturday, I ran for 20K. And it went straight into 20K because I thought, well, I've got to give it a proper test. And it was and it was totally fine. So, But then my legs were really sore. And then the <laughs> next day, so that day, we ran in the morning in Dottingham, then drove to Roth, um, arrived in Roth. The next day I did, me and Chelsea cycled the Roth course and we ran 8K off the bike. Um, and that was, and then it was fine. And then my legs were super sore. I had to, but then I was doing this balancing of trying to um, prepare myself to run a marathon, but also rest. So I ran, I ended up running, um, I took Monday off. I ran 15K on the Tuesday, which included some one kilometer reps. Um, I took Wednesday off running, and then I ran another 15 kilometers on the Thursday, which is actually something I would never normally do, like running 15K like two two or three days before an Ironman isn't 
normally that advice, but I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to just balance things out a little bit. Um, yeah. And then, and then I, and then I ran, um, and then that was that really. So I ran 15 K around 20, 20 minutes the day before the race, which was on the, uh, Saturday, which was on the Saturday and then raced on the, on the Sunday. And, and to be honest with you, like, I felt really good on the run and, um, I was running at like 355 on the canal of Roth, 355s, heart rate was like 150, which is kind of my normal Ironman heart rate. Yeah. And I, and I thought it's on here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to blast like out of 245 here, Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then, um, but then eventually my, just the conditioning in my legs, it, my quads just exploded and my legs have never been as sore. I mean, they've been sore after Ironman, but after that race, I could, I could not walk. Yeah, uh, they were they were really really sore. So I just I just recently ran through the muscle soreness. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah. Still ran a two fifty. So I mean, I ran a yeah. two fifty. So I can't complain. No, shoot, that was amazing. Um, and Dan, how are you? So did it? So did it take a while to recover from that? Yeah, I mean, then we then we just cut, we went away to the mountains for a week and we chilled out and then um, yeah, and then I mean, I actually think I still had a little bit of muscle soreness even two weeks ago just running in Holland, but um, now it seems to have completely gone and yeah, I'm getting back into it. So yeah, and you know, was were you going into that race thinking this is my last hurrah because I'm really going to give it my all, and now going, hang on, I've still got something left. Uh, I think I mean if everything. You know, if if I'd had, it's funny because if I'd had a really good run up and a bad race, I probably would have ended it there. But because I had a not good run up and a good race, it makes me want to do another one. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, totally. Um. So, yeah, and 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 and, and like I had I had a few chats with some like mentors about it, and and I think we all have this period in our lives where we have a, a choice. Like at the moment, I'm forty. I have the option to still do a fast time and go faster than a eighteen, you know, and I and I know that I can definitely go a lot faster than that. Um, but in and two years time, I, we won't even be having this conversation, you know, because it's not an option anymore. So, yeah. you know, you've got to, you've got to, um, you've just got to make the op- like I always think they've got to make the most of opportunities when they, when they present themselves, you know, and like, and then after that. I, I'm not going to do any racing anymore because my family's young and I want to focus on them for, you know, until they're until they're 12 or whatever. Because after after they're 12, they're not going to. They're feeling, they're, at the moment, they think I'm pretty cool, my kids. Would you believe it? But you know, <laughs> they are young. <laughs> they are young, exactly. <laughs> but you know, but after 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 they're 12, they'll, they'll want to hang out with their friends more than me. So totally. you know, then you got to make the most of that opportunity and then go into different things and. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And you know, to be fair, you've had you had quite a long hiatus, really, didn't you? From sort of Kona to now, like it's not yeah. like you've been you, that your family has been widowed by no, by no, exactly, exactly. All. It's all all in stages. And and like someone said to me the other day, they actually wrote to me and they said you should write a blog on um, on work life balance. And I was like, well, I don't believe in work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, there you go. So, because because it's, um, I believe in balance, but I don't believe, I really don't believe balance can be achieved all year round all the time. I think it has to come in stages is that, you know, there's there's a balance and then you counterbalance it. There's like, if you want to achieve anything in this world, to a, if you want to achieve anything and do it well, 
you you can't be balanced in doing it. If you want to do an Ironman well, you can't be balanced doing it. If you want to run a business well, you can't be balanced doing it. You know, you have to you have to go as all in, and that's why, like, you know, I focused on Kona. I went all in. I focused on the um, I focused on Endure IQ, and I went all in. And now I'm back focusing on on Ironman. You know, and and then after that's done, I'll go back to the business. Of course, like family is always a corner is always in the background, and that's kind of just a constant. But um, you know, it's really hard to do to do three things really well. I think you can do two things pretty well, but uh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You can't grow two. You can't grow. You can't do three things really well all all at the same time. You can't grow a massive a business as because you want to do well in Ironman and do and be a do what you need to do in your family. Yeah, two okay. But, yeah, um, three. And if, as for the social life, then that's just not not um what I've, doesn't happen. No, no. I was I would have been would have been super surprised if you'd said that. Oh, and then I need a you know a really social. <laughs> the social reason. life is riding my bike with with friends. Yeah, totally. But that's the thing as an athlete, right? Like, so I you know I know for me, like I I catch up. Eat mo- most people I catch up with are people that I run with, particularly because I work by myself now. So they're people I podcast yeah. with, and they're people yeah. that I run with, and then we just have our and then it's um hubster and i'm like oh yeah that's cool and that's great you know i love it it's it's actually really hard when you're when you're training and you got those two big things going on it is really hard to um to socialize with people who aren't into into your thing you know like if you can go and train with them, it makes life a lot a lot easier, you know. Otherwise, I mean, I, you, I mean, as you know, if you're training 20 hours a week, the last thing you want to do is go to a restaurant and or go to a pub. Yeah. You know, you go to a restaurant and you just end up hungry, and you, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you have to. You come out, you spend a load of money, and then you say, right, what should we go? What's for dinner? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you totally. Know? The love of messy, and I think that's the great thing about the types of sports that we do. Like, obviously, I'm not a triathlete. I we do we run and so I rock on up to park run I see my mates at park run we go running in the hills and mountains and then we we have um we make dates with our friends to do that and then we all go to a pub you know like and that's the that's the experience when I have someone's like do you want to come over on a Saturday I'm like how's it going to fit in with my park run and then I've also got to do groceries and and things like that yeah 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 Yeah. but you go do you want to come and do the park run with me you know exactly yeah yeah Hey, um, Dan. With regards to to your build up, um, this year versus Kona, did you do anything specifically different? Like, what what has changed in how you might train yourself or your athletes, I suppose, as well, in the lead up to an Ironman for someone of your sort of calibre? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and honestly, I I don't I didn't really change very much, to be honest. If hardly really strength training, strength training. Okay. Yeah, that would be the yeah. only thing. That would be the only difference, really. Diet, you know, nutritional nutrition stayed the same. The training was very much the same. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I just wrote a blog actually on about Jan van Berkel's like running progression over the eight years we, we I was coaching. And one of the, one of the first things I mentioned in that blog was consistency, and that's not like consistency as in I mean um, you consistently train. I mean consistency within a training program, and it's. I really, I'm a firm believer that you should not change training programs. As mundane, as boring as it sounds, you should just evolve and slightly tweak of what, what you've been doing. If it's been working, of course. If it's not working, then you've got to kind of relook at things. But if you've had a success with a certain program, you don't want to be 
changing it. I mean, I've been working with the women's kayak program in New Zealand for you know since since Rio, and um, and I and I knew what the sort of training Gordy was doing before that as well. And you know, and Lisa Carrington, she's won you know numerous Olympic medals, gold medals, and most of them. And training hasn't really changed that much. You know, it's just very slight tweaks of what what already worked. So I didn't change much in that in that respect at all. Really, it kept very much the same. But the, the only thing that I did um, I did include more of was strength training, and it, that's one of my regrets in the build up. Is that I was really good with my strength training. I was doing it two times a week in my in my gym at home. And then I went to St. Moritz and I just didn't do it anymore. And that could be one of the, maybe one of the reasons I got injured, maybe. Um, but I also noticed that my swimming really went downhill. Um, it, well, not downhill, the swimming progressively got worse. And it was, it was maintaining really well. And what I found with the strength training is that um, I've always really struggled to hold my swimming up as my running comes up, like, because you get wider, you get leaner, my swimming gets worse and worse. And, you know, it's quite a hard balance. But I was finding that with the strength training, it was, my swimming was really holding well. But as soon as I stopped doing it, I felt my swimming just started to just dip down a little bit. And then, and I also got the injury. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I used to be a total anti strength training person like for endurance athletes i didn't really think it had much merit but i've totally changed my tune on that yeah 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 awesome it just takes a lot of time that's the thing you don't i think one of the things about strength training is you don't see you don't see any benefit very quickly and you say this is a waste of time but then when after it almost takes a year to actually start seeing things come through and then um and then then you start to see some good benefits whilst I wasn't able to run for the first six months of this year I did a lot more I just focused much more on strength training um and I now, can tell you're looking quite, quite <laughs> looking quite buff I know <laughs> uh and uh I wonder Dan what what your advice to me is actually so I'm going to use this as a slight consultation at the same time it's quite a good benefit for me but I'm trying to maintain my league work in my with my run program and I'm and I need to do it in a way where I'm still getting the benefit of it. And part of the benefit for me, I see, with using strength training is is fatiguing the legs after running without actually doing the load of running, you know, and running that sort of injury risk. You know, like people talk about the you've got to, like, I'm training for Tarawera 100. And so yeah. I, you know, there will be a time when my run, like, I'll do a lot more Ks than I am now. Like, it's ages away. So I want to be quite sensible. Um, and I still know that I need to do legs twice a week in the gym. It's just trying to figure out the best days to do them. So what's yeah. your what's your advice? Like, have yeah, you the, got the, the secret the, sauce? The concurrent effects of training. Well, there's, there's a couple of things with strength training is that, you know, to improve areas of running, running economy and, and those sorts of things, it has to be quite heavy, like actually heavy, heavy weights. That's like three, three to six reps, you know, sort okay. of thing. Um, but also like, so a neuromuscular fatigue takes much longer to recover from than, than energy fatigue. So, you know, if you did like, so say you did like three, three reps maximal versus 12 reps, 
you can actually is that even though even though you'd look at it on paper and go oh that's quite a sh- the shorter session the shorter session is the one that's going to take more to recover from because it's more of a neuromuscular fatigue than a than an energy than a kind of my energy fatigue if you like from, yeah just from the like the me- metabolism of doing more reps um but what so we actually published a paper that well actually it's not published we did the research the paper's not published and what it looked is it is it did that very thing with kayakers it it sequenced the the strength training so it did it either um it either did it the same day as a high intensity or the same day as an endurance the day before the high intensity okay just, yeah. So, so yeah. So you would do it on the same day as the high intensity training, or the day the day of an endurance training, the day before the high intensity training, and the, easily the best time to do it was on the same day as your high intensity training. Okay. Is it because you're already fatigued, and so therefore you still get recovery? Well, from there your might be a bit or? of um, um, a potentiation activation going on as well. You know, like from the strength training that could actually help the. Help, and I think especially some of that neuromuscular stuff, the neuromuscular fatigue, you can get a bit of potentiation into the actual into the actual training, and the neuromuscular fatigue is almost a little bit later, and it's coming out more the next day. So if you're doing it on the same day, it, you're likely going to get a better a better result. Okay, and uh, what do you do for your leg leg work? What's your leg workout? Well, I, I'm quite mundane as I generally do. Um, I just generally do squats and I generally do it within a circuit, but I don't do many three to four reps. Yeah. And I don't go, I, I don't go massively heavy either, but I will try and go quite deep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, I think that's what I've, I'm trying to work on right now is my depth rather than yeah. the heavy. I say, I, I say I try to go quite deep. If anyone actually saw me do it, they'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> they'll be like that's, that's not, not deep. deep. That's not deep. But for for an endurance athlete, I mean, we've got to always add that add that caveat. Yeah, for me. Yeah, for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love the yeah. Smith machine actually because I feel safe with it. So yeah, yeah. I can and I can go deep. Um, and okay, this is good intel. Thank you, Dan. I'll I'll um figure out a way to do that just because I still I love doing it and I want to do it in a way that helps my running. Um, I don't want it to feel all too hard and I just give it up completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I think for running as well, you want to include some plyometrics. Yeah, I know. You're right. I do need to do that, actually. And do you like the non-committal way with which I acknowledge? I, your... I hear you. You're like, yes, I do need to do that. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. You'll be ignored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I do actually. You're, 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 that's so true. And that, would, that could be as simple as step-ups, right? Well, we have got um, a course coming out. LET 301 which is about strength training oh amazing so, oh, this um, is good yeah so it's run by Adam Story who's um who's the guru of all things strength training he was he worked alongside me at Emirates Team New Zealand oh amazing um, so yeah it's, it's aimed at long distance triathlon but um obviously it it, tra- it transcends to all um long distance ultra sports so yeah yeah, yeah. this is awesome yeah. Hey, um, so Dan, you didn't do anything different with your nutrition then. You're still this the same sort of um, uh, your daily nutrition, your recovery nutrition. I know that we've talked about what you do on a number of podcasts, and and I hear you talk about. Let's not bore people again. No, let's people not. People think you're hearing about it. <laughs> True, but I do actually have a question around the Mortine gels, actually, and because these have popped up um, over the last maybe six or eight months, and they're quite expensive, and there's you know a lot of people 
uh, you know, forking out for them essentially because they've got this added sort of benefit from, you know, as far as the manufacturers would, would tell us. Have you got any thoughts around them? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, um, what can I say? I don't really want to say anything not nice about another another product, but I do think they're um, a bit overhyped, you know? Um, so, I mean, the idea is that the like they they contain like pectin and sodium sodium alginate, and that combination is supposed to be better on the gut, and it's supposed to help with um, oxidation, like improve improve oxidation. So, th- the, if you look at the research, and the research is very clear, is that they have zero effect on um, on oxidation rate. They do not improve your oxidation rate. No more than a normal fructose glucose combination. We know that fructose and glucose as a combination. You can oxidize carbohydrates at around 90 grams per hour. Um, not nothing's really been shown to go much above that. There are a few individuals who who might have freakish oxidation rates, but for most people, it's not going any higher than that. Um, and the but the the thing that there was one paper that showed that gut tolerability tolerance for the Morton gels is a little bit better. So you can even if you're shovel when you're shoveling in more than 90 grams you work, you might not get a sore stomach um but it doesn't mean it's going anywhere it's not being it's not necessarily being oxidized or, or used but, you know, it's just sat in the stomach and not causing you any gastrointestinal distress so do we yeah. want to be chugging 90 grams of carbs an hour well it depends and as always it, it depends right um for some people, you might have to. If you're if you're a pro athlete, for example, and you're you're doing an Ironman at 300 watts, and you're um, and you're you've got a poor fat oxidation, then you, you you'll have no choice. But if you're an age grouper and you're doing 180 watts and you've got a good fat oxidation, then you certainly don't need to. It's, it's you know I just I find it amazing. I mean I wrote I wrote a blog on this. Um, 90 versus 120 grams so you can look that up and enjoy IQ and we went through all the research that shows that um about this and you know and, and it and it and one of the the crazy things is that when people have consumed 120 grams and this was done by the research from King King et al um endogenous carbohydrate stores went down more and in the end because Fat oxidation was blunted so much. And in the end, it's all about preserving your endogenous carbohydrate stores. So it's not um, just because you're, chew- you're, you're chowing more doesn't mean you're preserving more. In fact, in this particular study, it showed the opposite effect. So more is not better. And I always think less is more in that particular, in, in, this, in most instances, particularly when racing in the heat. Um, you know, there's some great papers that that show the the, the um, finishing time versus carbohydrate consumption. Yeah, and yet, and you know, wearing like a German Ironman that's in the cool, we are typically seeing people who con- who take more carbohydrate are finishing a bit faster, right? Um, but that relationship is massively diminished at Kona because of the heat, and suddenly you're not absorbing the carbohydrates as much. So. So well, that's interesting. So basically, the like so where the research 
looked where the research tends to be is that if you are taking on board these massive amounts of carbohydrate you're blunting your fat oxidation so much that your body has had to tap in more to its endogenous carb stores and you're chewing through them at a greater rate so actually yeah. it's you're just you're losing out in that respect yeah and, that, and that's what we i mean in this in the particular study by by king et you know he didn't you know he didn't measure he didn't look at he didn't say that's the the reason but that's what we can we can I mean, I don't, I don't see. I mean, that's what I think is happening because it isn't, there's no other reasonable explanation, really, just to explain why endogenous carbohydrate stores are being are going down more when you in, when you're putting in that that amount of carbohydrate. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and interesting, Dan. I had a um, podcast interview with Philippe Prins, and he is a researcher in that low carb diet space. He's published with Volick and uh, Tim Noakes and and stuff like that. And you know, their research papers showed that when you when they did a crossover study, actually, and he goes into depth in the podcast that I um, spoke to him about that. The, that the middle-aged recreational athlete, of which we could probably all sort of fall into, you know, maybe not, maybe not you, maybe you're sort of on the cusp of that recreation slash slightly above, um, but certainly you're middle-aged. Um, they had, um, when they gave them a high-carbohydrate diet, which actually wasn't that high, um, they ended up being pre-diabetic. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the classic, that's the one with the 800-metre 800 800 time trial performance, yeah, with Kunick and Noakes and all yes. that. yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um yeah, and it, it, I I think that the prevalence of people with some kind of metabolic dysfunction in who are elite, elite athletes are um is probably higher than we than we realize as well. And um, I mean, it's not the first study to show us like that study was 30%. There was another study that was in martial arts athletes that showed showed similar um and um yeah, and and, and I I just think that people hear about these professionals doing 120 grams an hour and then they they assume that that's right for them you know and you know you can't compare yourself to these outliers because you know they're the people who the, the athletes who are winning on the world stage olympic champions world champions they are not the norm you know they're definitely very very different to your average age grouper who's who's a weekend warrior or just training training recreationally and you can't you just can't put the, the two things together and i think you know it's um yeah health health and performance is has to be has to be considered and that's why you know s fuels it's one of the things that we're quite passionate about is this idea of right fuel right time is if you're going out and you're you're doing your your rides and your runs and you you're putting in fructose and glucose all the time and you're doing 60 grams per hour all the time that that there's no need for it you know and and you know the funny thing is is that we just we just published a paper from Jess PhD and we looked at like um, perceived recovery status versus carbohydrate intake and there's no no relationship so there was no relationship so there was no relationship in most people there was a big there was a big standard deviation so in like the most people that didn't but one or two there was a bit of a relationship which is the point the point of this paper was that you know is you have to base it on the individual but for most people there was no relationship between carbohydrate intake and perceived recovery so you know and yet as nutritionists it's just a given, right? We just go, oh, well, carbohydrates help recovery. They 100% do that. And, but, like, do they? Really? 
You know, we don't, we don't actually we're not we don't actually know if they do if they do or not. Maybe there's something else going on. Well, also if you look at the likes of someone like Zach Bitter, like and you know Zach well, um, you guys are both S Fuels sort of peeps. He you know spends a lot of his time in that low carb state, and his high carb diet isn't actually that high anyway. And his recovery is great. So it must also like when I think about recovery from training, and I you know, say to people, yeah, the carbs are really going to help you recover. It's if the people I'm working with are in like quite a bit of a calorie deficit. So, mm. you know, and, and, and yeah, it really then, does then, help. Then the question is, is it what's helping them recover? Is it carbs or is it calories? And and I would say yeah, the calories is, is probably the thing. And, and of course, like if you're restricting a macronutrient, then it's harder to get the calories in. Yes, I, 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 I can appreciate that. But, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the carbohydrates. I just think it is the calories that is the calories in the main player here yeah. all the time. You know, yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Although um, the there is research looking at. Um, or is there research or well, clinically speaking, I'll say that because we know that carbohydrate in the, for example, carbohydrate in the evening helps your body produce serotonin, which is a precursor to melatonin. So there's that sleep relationship. Clinically, yeah. I see it all of the time. But yeah, yeah. I think my point is, is that if I'm working with someone and they're doing steady state exercise and they're wondering where they need to chug back, you know, a sports drink after that. I'm going to say no because you yeah. know that's actually like you haven't really it's not glycolytic you're not you're not doing crossfit 5 days a week you probably don't need to worry about that. Yeah exactly I I would I totally agree and it is you know I always feel like I'm a broken record because I do get asked these questions a lot and and I'm always like it, it depends, you know, I never give a straight answer. <laughs> no, no. And I think this is, do you know what? That's probably why people ask you a lot, like, are we going to get anything from Dan this time? Is he going to give us <laughs> that golden nugget? But, I mean, there is no golden nugget. The golden nugget is, it sort of depends and it's quite individual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Dan, so um, have you been doing any work with continuous glucose monitors? And, you know, have you seen anything around you know, pre-training and and what might be helpful for your athletes if they utilise them to sort of have a look at fuel requirements? Um, no. <laughs> Bugger. Sorry. I haven't done anything with yeah. continuous glucose monitors in a very, very, very long time now. Yeah. Yeah, I just – I found I found it um, – I found it kind of ran its its course a little bit, and I've I've just not really I've used it, and I've not really got anything out of it. To you know, I think it's great for seeing what foods affect you in certain ways, but from a training perspective, I think it's um, I think it's quite. I mean, I know that there's certain companies that almost promote you to have high blood glucose all the time during mm -hmm. training. You should keep your blue good glucose as high as that, and I think it should be the opposite. You know, yeah. that you could potentially use them to see how you could not spike your blood glucose and how you can keep it low and stable during exercise. Yeah. You know, but, um, yeah, I know that's, um, that didn't give you a good answer, but I, I haven't done anything in, in a very long time now. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I mean, I wonder whether it's, you know, if someone's using a CGM, they wake up in the morning, the glucose is a little bit high. Like, like to my mind, I'm like, just go out and run don't even worry about you don't need to feel like is that how you might sort of approach that if someone has a similar situation yeah 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 i mean i think but i think it's i mean if someone woke up with a high blood glucose in the morning i would definitely i would definitely i would definitely think that and i think um i think that's where it can be useful though is from a metabolic and health perspective if someone if someone woke up like that i think they want, probably want to go out and do a run without eating because they want to bring their blood glucose back down to what would be a normal level. Um, I think 
I think I think that's the the, the main thing is whereas you know if someone's wake, waking up and they're within a normal range of the low then maybe you might want to eat something hey um it's funny that you say you know they, they were quite i mean they were all the rage maybe maybe even a year ago now like kipchoge yeah. had like was wearing one from i can't recall what, which company and they had all of this data from him and they were busy yeah. analyzing it i just don't yeah. know what they were going to find from that to be honest yeah and and you know those those blood glucose monitors has been some good papers published now that show that they're not that accurate during during exercise oh interesting you yeah. know like so they're great for resting but the accuracy of um during exercise is actually quite question questionable so um this is this is the issue i mean i've just seen i've had an athlete wear it during a race and he just went up to 200 milligrams per deciliter and stayed there for eight hours and i'm like well is that real? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't real. But, yeah. You know, yeah, so. yeah. And in fact, I have um, one of my friends who's based in Canada, like I put up my reading um, from when I did like earlier this year, and she said, oh, that low that you had during the night, it's just where your arm is. You know, it's you sort of lying on your arm. It's not actually yeah. that you've got a blood glucose low. Yeah. 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 Giving yourself a dead arm. Not, not yeah, let, basically. Not letting, blood, not letting the blood flow go to your arm. <laughs> that's not yeah. helpful. That's not helpful for yeah. your uh, uh, blood glucose, for what's illustrated on the on the CGM. No. No. Hey, um, Dan, um, anything that you're excited about in your field of sort of research or in your coaching, any new things? That, and I know you've just said consistency is key, but anything that you're interested in exploring? with your athletes uh i mean one of the things that we're working on at aut at the moment is this like um this idea of durability in athletes is looking at like so we've done a few pieces of research now is looking at how thresholds change over time and i don't mean that i don't mean how a threshold would change from one week to the next i mean during the course of exercise so if if you're doing if you're doing a four-hour ride for example how is your vt1 changing from the first 30 minutes to the last to the last 30 minutes if it's a if it's a four-hour ride and um so yeah we're doing we're doing a little bit of research in that and we're finding some really interesting things um one is how we can measure it we look we found like ventilation could be a great way to measure to measure it in real time um and you know we've come across a company who can measure ventilation in real time so we're been talking with them and um and then also looking at you know what's related to someone who's more durable and who's not who's less durable we just had one study that's in the process of being um written up that was basically we did a threshold test continuously every 30 minutes until exhaustion and or six hours and you know and some of the outcomes of that were being fascinating because it's such an important metric for ultra endurance right the more you know and we we just published another another paper that's not being published yet, but we're writing up as well. It showed that basically we did um, a five a five minute time trial, prolonged exercise, another five minute time trial, and and those athletes who's who's more who are more durable, which means that their thresholds aren't changing very much over those two hours, are easily doing more power in the last five minutes. So it has good ecological validity to actual performance as well. So. Yeah, this this is what this is some of the things that uh, we're working on at the moment. Um, other things that I'm working on, I'm working. Um, I'm just starting to be the head of um, research for Pillar Performance. I think I've mentioned that to you. Yes, so, amazing. Yeah, so, so that's been really exciting, and and my and my position there isn't to um, it's not to 
build the products as such and make sure it's got the correct DHA to EPA ratio in the ultra omegas and the correct magnesiums. I mean, obviously I have a bit of input in that, but it's it's more to try and bring out some um, some real life um, use cases where it is showing to improve your HIV. So magnesium is improving HIV, it is improving your sleep, it is reducing your inflammation for running, it is improving your fat oxidation and, and bringing out these cases where we can actually... Um, we can actually have clinical proof that these things are doing what they say they do and they are worthwhile uh, worthwhile for athletes, you know? Oh, that's amazing. So did you just tell me that magnesium helped improve fat oxidation? No, um, but there's potential for ultra omegas. The... Ultra omegas. Yeah, yeah. okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm super, obviously anything nutrition-related, yeah. I'm, I'm interested to sort of explore and know more about. So that's... I was just thinking about magnesium. Magnesium is well known to help with blood sugar regulation. So I'd imagine there'd be, I wonder whether there's anything there. Yeah, yeah. And well, and it's also been shown to improve HRV as well. I mean, it's all maybe there's something something in that as well. But, um, you know, it's and it's the combinations, it's the glycinate and the, you know, and the citrate and all those different things that are doing all different things, uh, all different. But we've, I mean, we've had so many um, athletes who, I mean, we live in this world now with a lot of wearable data, right? Where people are wearing their whoops and they're wearing their aura rings and they take the magnesium and they see improved sleep and they see wouldn't really go too much in the sleep of those 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 devices. But the HRV is quite reliable and we are seeing improved HRV with um when taking these supplements and it's i think it's, it's pretty it's pretty exciting yeah no, it sounds it um dan if i just go back to your the research on durability um i think that's really exciting because a lot of the studies that we look at to uh, sort of inform training and nutrition for endurance athletes like the length of the time that they're actually studied might be say two hours you know maybe three hours at a push which a lot changes if you then extend it to a normal person doing a marathon is actually doing a marathon in about four hours and then you've got yeah. your ultra endurance runner and they're out there for eight hours and of course the Ironman so um, yeah even more yeah yeah so, so, so one of the things that we found like we we, we searched for a long time to look at some you know because one of the key questions is like okay what um what areas of physiology seem to be improving durability? And we looked at peak fat oxidation, peak fat oxidation rates, and that made that made that didn't seem to be related at all, which I was really surprised at. But one of the recent studies that we've found is we found that fat oxidation rate um, in general at a sort of maximal level during the pre-testing, so during the pre-step test, the first step test, we looked at fat oxidation rate in that test. Um, is very related to how durable the athlete was for the prolonged exercise, which is great for us because it means that we can, you know, fat oxidation once again is important. Totally. And then, of course, for females, you know, like we're better at burning fat. Like, do you reckon this is got this is the thing that's keeping us going for longer and potentially getting us closer yeah, in that I endurance mean, space? I mean, potentially, yeah, potentially. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Relatively better at burning fat, can I just say? Yes. Okay. No, this is good. <laughs> that is great. I like that. Hey, um, and Dan, like you mentioned, um, your what you're excited about in your research, obviously, because I asked you that. Um, what about any books that you've read lately that um have been in, sort of informative for you, or a podcast you're listening to? Like, we yeah, always want to learn yeah, from the, who. We I mean, from. the main the main books that I I read recently was I I read um Outlive by you know Peter yeah yeah it was brilliant amazing so good yeah it's such a good book and then i was when i was reading on holiday i was reading uh, man's search for meaning by victor yes 
Um, yes, I know that. Is it the, by the Happiest Man? See, no, also the Happiest Man. No, it's a similar book. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I've his name now. Victor something. I remember his first name, but I was last name. It was terrible. Hang on, hang on. Um, um, and and just while you're, is it? I have to say. It, I read The Happiest Man on Earth, yeah, and I enjoyed that more. Yeah, to be honest. Okay, this is Victor Frankel. If you want to, Frankel, that's if you, it, Victor Frankel, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I read that one, and then the other book I'm um, reading at the moment, I've got a few on the go. Is um, I mean, Outlive. I'm just kind of you know, I just read bits of it here yeah, and yeah. now at a time, you know, and then um, and then and then I read. I've been reading um, raise, I mean, raising boys who. Like themselves, yeah, yeah, which has been quite good as well. Yeah, awesome. And just because I got a young boy, and you know, I want him to be a confident young man. Yeah, yeah, I've heard great <laughs> so, things about that book actually. Yeah, well, well, my wife read the Raising Girls Who Like Themselves, so we've got a young girl, and she read that. So I was reading, I'm reading the boys one, and we compare notes. Oh, that's good. So, that's great. Which is really, it's really good. Mm-hmm. It's been, I mean, that's one of the. I think as a parent, it's your biggest. Um, one of your biggest projects, right, is, is 100%. to raise, um, raise good children. Yeah. Do you know, Dan, strangely, like I love podcasts, but it's only recently I've gotten into Audible. And so I also downloaded Outlive on Audible to listen to it. Yeah, it's, it's really good. I listened to it. I, I, I listened to it on Audible and I bought the book. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it's um, on Audible. It's, re- it's really good because Peter Atia does it. it as well, yeah. which is actually really good. Yeah, I totally um, agree. I can, I don't know. I could, I was thinking. Oh, that's another thing I'm doing. I'm writing a HRV book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Oh, cool. Yeah, so me, um, Marco Altini, yeah, and um, and um, so it's called Sylvia and Labardo, who's who's a psych. He's more in the psychology space of um. Oh, I probably just totally butchered his name then, so I'm really sorry. Um, but um, yeah, um, and and another colleague of his, um. Yeah, and they're in more of the psychology space. So, you know, I'll be doing more of the exercise physiology side. Mark will do more of the tech stuff. And then we'll have the psychology. So we've, we've got um, a deal with human kinetics and we'll be pushing that forward, which will be good because I've never written a book before. So oh, amazing. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, no, it'll be great, Dan. I mean, you seem to pump out a lot of content. So it's certainly in your wheelhouse, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll... We will. We shall. We shall see how it how it goes. I think we'll get the I'm in California out of the way, and then that'll be one. I'll try and if I can just put one day a week aside to focus on the book, then you know, I think it'll be it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so, um, where are you? Where are you off to next? So I'm actually going to Kona, um, seventh oh, yeah. of September. Awesome. Um, for two weeks with Chelsea, um, and then uh, and then come back. And then they go to California for the Ironman. Well, when, you know, when's like California Ironman? 22nd of October. <gasps> Amazing. Cool. And is it just a Dan trip or is it a, a whole Plues family no, trip? No, it's a whole, it'll be a whole Plues family trip. Good. Yeah. As it should I be. Don't, I'm not into doing, like, going there and doing it on my own. It's just, yeah. it's just not, it's just no. not what I really, you know, it's just not the same. No. It's just not really enjoyable. So, yeah, so we'll, um, we're going to do that and it'll be. Hopefully, and that'll be that. And people, I, I feel like a broken record. That's definitely going to be the last one because that's the, that's the, that's the that, that'll be the end of that. And then, and then it's um, time to get big and strong in the gym. Oh, Ryan, Ryan Hall, like maybe not quite so big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But hey, goals, goals, Dan. I yeah, believe you're in gonna, you. Yeah, I believe you're in have you. Goals. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I said. I, I think I told you this story before. I, I said Kate was like, "How big do you want to get in the world?" You know, Chris Hemsworth kind of size. <laughs> 
It's in your dreaming, mate. And Kate goes, you want to be Thor? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Isn't that isn't, every man's, every man's it's fantasy? Like, well, it's normal gold is fine, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surely. That's hilarious. Hey, so, Dan, um, Endura IQ, you just mentioned that you've got a new strength training course coming out, LDT 301. When's that yep. drop? Uh, ooh, good question. Don't, I don't want to put a date on that yet, but okay. um, sometime we, we, we're getting pretty close, so sometime – Sometime in the next couple of months. Amazing. Yeah. Well, super excited yeah, to hear it's about gonna that. Be, it's going to be a really good one, I think. And then, um, yeah, we just keep keep building up the, the training squad and our coaching and, you know, keep your you – know, do check out our blog. Was, oh, you guys got, do an amazing blog. I, I just love so it. Much, so much stuff on there now. Although, got to say, I didn't love the Apple study that you um, highlighted the other week. I was just like, yeah, but Apple's so full of fructose. So many people have issues with fructose. Does it matter that you're you are literally comparing apples with apples and they're both <laughs> a bit rubbish? <laughs> but would you prefer, to, if you were going to have fructose, would you prefer to have it in an apple puree? I don't know. It's, the, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You're still going to get that but, problem. But it's more of a natural, it's more, I mean, I mean I'm all about the whole foods, right? It's more yeah. natural, right? And, and I think the thing about fructose is, yeah, I agree with you, but sometimes you've got to have it. If you want to, if you, like we discussed earlier, if you want to compete and you and your requirement is a high level of high oxidation of carbohydrates because you're doing 320 watts, then I would be prefer that that fructose to be coming from an apple than some random somewhere else, you know? Yeah, no, I understand. Although if this is you and you have fructose malabsorption, then it's not going to work. So... You know, well, like you're going to be you're going to be in trouble regardless. In trouble. Yeah, so go glucose, go get that dextrose from the supermarket, pop it in that drink bottle, put some salt with it. There you go. That's like the cleanest, the easiest. Yeah, but then what, what happens if you what happens if you're pumping out 320 watts? Get fat adapted, then? buddy. Get fat yeah, adapted. There you go. Get fat adapted. That's <laughs> yeah. the only option. It yeah. is the only. And hey, that's a preferred option. And on that note, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, um, Instagram. I'm always on Instagram and um, yeah, that, are, that's, that, and I'm on Twitter okay. as well. Um, I think Instagram's the plus, Twitter's the plus one, I think. And um, and do sign up to if you go to enjoyiq.com, um, do sign up to our monthly newsletter, the Brew Up, and um, and we and, and we publish all the blogs out there, and we send it out to our email list, so you won't won't miss a beat, so to speak, and you can check everything out there. Yeah, that is awesome. As I said, I love the brew up. It is great. Um, thank you, Plows. Love talking to you as always. I always feel a bit smarter coming out of these talks because <laughs> just spoke to well, you. <laughs> well, well, you know what? I'm I'm a dimwit compared to some of the guests you've had on your podcast now. So um... oh, I know, I know, I know. That's why I feel smarter. <laughs> 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 Jokes, JK, JK. All right. Yeah. <laughs> See you cool. later. All right, we'll speak soon. Ciao, ciao. Alrighty, so hopefully you enjoyed that. Dan is always such a wealth of information. Love chatting to him. And absolutely best of luck for Chelsea and Dan and the whole team this weekend at Kona. And I'm sure she'll do brilliantly. I will pop links to how you can find Dan and Endura IQ in the show notes, as always. And next week, I'm stoked to bring to you a conversation with I have with another sort of goat in metabolic health and nutrition and hormones and metabolism, Dr. Jade Teeter, naturopath. 
Until then, though, you can catch me over on Instagram, Twitter, and threads at Mickey Willardin, Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition. Head to my website, mickeywillardin.com, book a one-on-one call with me. All right, team, have a great week. 